0: New Testament. We'll be in chapter 2 today. We'll be beginning in Titus chapter 2. As you turn there to Titus chapter 2 in your Bibles, I would ask you to pray with me again uh, before we begin uh, to look at God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, I acknowledge to you my great need. I have nothing that I can offer you, no eloquent words, no track record, no resume or education that will do a bit of good spiritually for us today. And it is because of that, it is because of that truth that I have nothing and that we have nothing that we plead with you would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts and ears ready to hear, to change, to repent, to rest in you as we look to your word today? Would you help us to experience the power of the word of God through your Holy Spirit today? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in Titus chapter 2. I want to begin by telling you a story. And my story today is a story about two people, two young people named Josh and Nicole. When I was a young student pastor some years ago, um, it was evident that the Lord was working in a a number of the lives, uh, the lives of of a number of the students, but... Uh, Particularly, I noticed Josh and Nicole were always there. Whatever we were doing, they were there, they were neck deep in whatever was happening at the church, whatever was happening in the student ministry. I was able to build a particular relationship with Josh because he just wanted to know the Lord more. He just wanted to go deeper deeper. And Whitney began to build a relationship with, with Nicole because she just loved the Lord and she wanted to know more and she wanted to have a mentor and she found that, I think, in Whitney. And even to this day, some over a decade later, uh, Whitney, just this month, has had a conversation with Nicole about life and God. Nicole is married now. She's a school teacher. She and her husband are serving the Lord together in their church. And then just this month, Josh reached out to me. He's a youth pastor now. Uh, followed through on what he said way back in 2011 that he he thought he wanted to be a youth minister and and now he is one and he's following the Lord even this month. He called me up just to talk about a situation that's difficult. And as I realize what our statistics tell us, and that is that about 70% of the kids that are raised in the church end up leaving and falling away, not following the Lord into adulthood, the question that we should ask is, Not why does that happen, but why is it that young people continue to follow the Lord? That's what we need to explain. And we know all the theological reasons for that. God draws people to himself, John chapter 6. God keeps them faithful, Romans chapter 8. We know the the biblical reasons and the doctrinal and the theological reasons for that. But God also uses means. What are the means that God uses to raise up a generation and to keep them faithful to himself. It's important for us to figure that out so that we can be a church who are putting our hands to the plow so that we can be cultivating the soil of those means. What is it that God uses to cause kids to become adults who remain faithful and follow Jesus all of the days of their lives? As we see here... In Titus chapter 2, I think this, the answer to this question is two-pronged. It's the church, yes, but the, the emphasis in Titus chapter 2 seems to be on the family and the family of faith. The family pointing their kids toward Jesus. Raising them in such a way that the most important thing, not just a thing, but the thing, is Christ and His cross. And then not only that, but the family of faith that we have here today. You see, not everyone has parents who are pointing them toward Jesus. Sometimes mom is, but dad's not. And sometimes dad is, but mom's not. And the reality is we can remember those words in the Bible, where the Bible says you have many guides in Christ, but not many of you have fathers. The church is the place where we can come and find mothers and fathers in the faith to mentor us and to push us toward Jesus So today I want to kind of draw these two things out, the family and the family of faith in Titus chapter 2. There's a lot here. This sermon could have gone 16 different ways. There's stuff that no doubt I'm going to be bypassing, but I want you to see what seems to be Paul's thrust Coming out of chapter 1, he's been talking about this blueprint for a church. He's been dealing with problems in the church. You see, there are people who are going around and are teaching things that are not good. Maybe in their personal conversations, they're saying things that are not in line with maybe what the people might be reading in the scriptures. And so, as a result, that that produces confusion in the life of the church. Paul says that these people are called wild talkers in chapter 1. And he says they're leading entire homes astray. And so the the solution to this comes in part in chapter 2. When there's this big pivot, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Titus this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So first, we, we, we begin with this with this idea of doctrine. In other words, you're supposed to teach what accords with sound doctrine, but then immediately we get the sense that whatever the church is teaching should show up in the lives of the people who are hearing it. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine, and then older men are to be this way. This is to show up in their lives in this way, and older women are 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 to look like this. They're to be formed by God's word in such a way that it's evident that they've been changed by the sound doctrine that has been taught. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. There's this notion, there's this idea that if the Word of God is active among the people, there will be a maturity, a spiritual maturity that, that follows along with the physical maturity of the person. That by the time someone is an older man, that by the time someone is an older woman, they should be spiritually old as well. They should not be old on the outside, but babies on the inside. They should be instead the kind of people that the younger people can look to. For an example, and that's exactly what he says beginning in verse four. He talks about what older men are to look like and then what older women are to look like. And he says in verse four, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. In other words, there's, there's a, there's an outflow of this spiritual maturity that is to happen in the old. In other words, it's supposed to be generational. There's an intergenerational reality that should occur inside the church with the older men discipling the younger men and showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus at the next stage of life. And there should be a, a, an example of the older women coming alongside younger women and showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus in the next stage of life. And while it's true that that we have kind of age-separated discipleship context, these, these kind of little compartments where if you're in this Sunday school class, you're likely gonna be in this age group. And if you're in this Sunday school class, you're likely gonna be in this age group. And there's nothing wrong about that. There is a reality that throughout the week, our lives should be done in relationship to one another. There should be this passing along from the older to the younger about the truths of the faith so that they can be encouraged. It looks like older women... Coming alongside the single mother or the mother of many kids and encouraging, reminding them what the Bible says and helping them. There should be this idea of the older men coming alongside the young men and saying, I remember what it was like to be where you are and to face the temptations and the challenges that you face. Follow Christ, it's worth it. Follow Christ. Verse 4, the reason that older men are to be this way, young uh, older women are to be this way, is so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God will not be reviled. Verse 6, he connects the older men to the younger men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good work. If you want to know what is the mark of a, of a spiritual man, it is self-control. It's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to see what immaturity looks like, I mean, immaturity in a, in a boy, I was there, immaturity in a boy is a lack of self-control. And it's very ugly when that shows up in an older man, right? The reality is there are certain things that are ugly when they show up in the lives of older believers because they ought not be there in older women and in older men. And he pivots in verse 6 to talk about what the young men should be trained in. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity. This connection again shows up between what we believe in and how we live. And sound speech that cannot be condemned. He seems to give another example here of what maturity in a man of God should be. Self-control and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Why would Paul be saying these things to the church on Crete? Is this just disconnected from what he said in chapter 1? I think not. He's been outlining in chapter one what the problem is in that church. That there might be elders. He's saying in essence to to Titus, Titus, you go there and you set up elders and and you set up elders plural so that there can be a a direction and and, and somebody can be at the helm of this church and can give uh, teaching and correction when necessary. But watch out as well, Titus, because there are some who, who have a way of getting into the church and they silently and quietly and behind the scenes begin to undermine the teaching that the people might be hearing. A number of years ago, I've mentioned to you I had a job where I was on the road a lot and I listened to a lot of radio and I listened to a lot of podcasts and... Um, I remember at a certain time of the day, a, a radio host would come on, and it was a political commentary show. And, uh, and this was apparently during an election cycle. And I remember this radio host saying, he had his candidate, and, and there was a candidate that he did not want to win. And I remember this radio host saying, you know what my candidate ought to do? My candidate ought to look at the speaking schedule of his opponent and show up a day after all of his speeches. And just follow him around the country. He said, that'll do two things. What it'll do is it'll give this opportunity. He, 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 you, just, you just watch the other guy's speeches, listen to the other guy's speeches, and then show up a day later and just tear it to shreds. You know? Just give your answer and your reply to everything. It'll be like a debate except the other guy doesn't get to have a chance to speak. And he says, the second thing that it'll do is it'll get into the other guy's mind Psychologically. It'll get into his mind because he knows that whatever I say in this town, whatever I say in Ames Iowa tomorrow, the other guy's gonna come after gonna come behind me the day later, and he's gonna refute everything that I said. And it's gonna be basically psychologically uh, you know a powerful strategy. Now, what's the point of all of this? The point is not politics. But imagine. Imagine if if, if I or any preacher, were to preach a sermon from the Scriptures, encouraging people to follow the Lord as the Bible says, and then on Sunday night, we had a different speaker every week, and the speaker came in here and started basically saying, hey, I know what y'all heard this morning, but come on. Repeating the same question of the serpent in the garden. Hath God really said? Now, I know the preacher gave that nice sermon this morning and it was nice and powerful and convincing, but let's be realistic. Should you really follow Christ that way? This is a sense of what was happening at the church on Crete. There was a ministry that was going forth. There were seeds that were being planted, but then behind the planting of the seeds, there was this sowing of the field with salt. There was this effort to discourage people from following Jesus the way that the Bible said. And what Paul was telling Titus is the way that you correct this is by making sure that the home is sound. And by making sure that in your church there are relationships that can be built so that there are older men who are discipling younger men to know what is true and to know how to follow Jesus. And there are older women who are discipling younger women so that they can know what is true and they can know how to follow Jesus. This is the solution, he seems to say. Yes, there needs to be pure doctrine. Yes, there need to be elders in the church. And we talked all about that in chapter 1. But there also needs to be relationships. Relationships. There can't just be programs. There must be disciple-making relationships where we do life with one another so that we can push one another toward Jesus. And he seems to say in chapter 2, in the first eight verses that I just read, that the evidence that the gospel has taken hold in someone's life is transformation. See what he says. He he doesn't just come in here and say, make sure that your people believe the right things. He says, make sure they believe what is right so that their lives can be changed. See, all doctrine, the purpose of all doctrine is not just to make our heads really big. The purpose of doctrine is to grease the skids so that we can become more like Jesus. Jesus. The purpose of all teaching, the purpose of all Bible teaching and all prayer meetings, the purpose of every discipleship context and small group and Sunday school class, the purpose of it is so that we can learn what is true, so that we can live what is true. He says it in verse 1, As for you teach what accords with sound doctrine, older women are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Older men, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and then train the next generation. In other words, getting back to the question from the very beginning, what are the means that God normally uses to create faith in the next generation? It's a combination of solid teaching and transformed living. It's a combination of solid teaching and transformed living. And what Paul seems to be telling Titus is, Titus, I'm going to send you there and I'm pretty sure that you're going to teach what's good. Like I trust you. I trust you, but Titus, be careful because if the teaching does not produce in your people transformed living, there will be a a break in the chain of passing these things on to the next generation. If we are trying to make sure that the next generation has a deep understanding of the gospel, the best thing we can do is to be for them examples of a transformed life. Because nothing, nothing will be nearly as destructive to them watching is if we sing and profess one gospel and live a different one. That will be the most convincing piece of counter evidence that there is no power in the gospel. I mean, imagine if, if I tried to convince my boys as they grow older, we're dealing with this stuff with the hot stovetops and stuff like that because they're, they're just tall enough to reach up there now. But imagine, I remember when I was at a certain age, my dad took me up to a hardware store in town and I got my first pocket knife, right? And then just imagine... If I, when my boys get to a certain age and I feel like I can trust them with that responsibility, and I tell them all the time, now one of our biggest rules is you never cut towards yourself, right? And I tell them, I preach that to them over and over and over again. Don't ever cut towards yourself. But as soon as daddy gets in a hurry mowing and needs to cut some weed eater string and I start doing this thing right here, which gospel are they going to believe? They're going to believe, now daddy says you ought not cut towards yourself, but I've seen him, and what he really practices is that it's okay from time to time, you know, if he gets in a pinch. There is nothing more destructive to the next generation than them seeing people professing one gospel with their mouths and living another gospel with their lives. And that is why Paul is so passionate here. He says, There are empty talkers and deceivers in your church, and they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. And as a result, I'm afraid that what's happening is they are about to run afoul of the of Jesus' words when he says it would be better for them to be drowned with a millstone tied around their neck than to lead one of these little ones astray. Friends, what we are doing here matters. The things that we live and the things that we say with our words matter because they are preaching a gospel that is being watched actively by the next generation. And I don't know how God's going to move. I don't know if or when He is going to convert my kids. I don't know if or when He is going to convert your kids. But all I know is that in the Bible, there are certain means that we are told to follow and trust God with the rest. I need to back off from what I've said just for a minute because, you know, when we're speaking in principle, when we're painting with broad brushes, it's easy to miss a lot of the exceptions. I mean, there are exceptions to all kinds of things. What I'm not saying here is that we need to be examples of perfect people. I'm not saying that we need to put on a show for the kids so that they think mommy and daddy have everything just right. What I'm saying is that when our kids, whether they're in your family or in the church, right? I'm talking about family and church family when I'm saying these things. When when the young people see us, they need to see people who sin and handle our sin rightly. We are going to sin. The question is, do we handle our sins according to the method of the Bible? Are we quick to run to the cross? Are we humble in our repentance? Are we able to say, are, is mommy and daddy able to say, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry. Daughter, I sinned against you. Do our... The, the, the power doesn't come from our kids seeing us being perfect. The power comes from our kids seeing us live gospel-shaped lives. Where we act as if the gospel is real. Where we live as if we're gonna sin, but we need to repent. When they see us, do they people when they see us, do they see people who are sinned against and forgive? When they see us, do they see people who are down on their knees serving others because we have been served by Jesus? When they see us, do they see people who are placing their hope and investments in this life and in this kingdom, little sand sandcastles, Or do they see us placing our hope and our investments in the next life and in the kingdom that is to come? Because that will preach a better gospel than any pastor behind any pulpit. So far I've been speaking in these broad ideas and I'm sufficiently uh, convinced that I have gotten so far off of my notes that I don't know if it can possibly be redeemed at this point. There's this pattern. this pattern of older men to younger men. The older women to younger women. Men must be sound in the faith, Sober-minded, dignified young men, find you somebody who is sober-minded. Find you somebody who is sound in the faith and follow them as they follow Jesus. Women are to teach what is good. They're to be reverent, not slanderers, not enslaved to much wine, the Bible says ordering their household well. Young ladies, go home and read Proverbs 31. Think of who that describes in the church and then yoke yourself to them. Follow them as they follow Jesus. Let them be an example to you of imperfection that handles their imperfection through the gospel. The Bible says this, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Young men, young women, find you somebody who has given up spiritually childish ways and has embraced the call of discipleship to follow Jesus and yoke yourself to them and follow them. Now, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then one day I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The church, folks, and the family, the Christian family and the church family, is to be an incubator of Christian living. You know what an incubator is, right? I remember when I was in kindergarten, we had an incubator for little eggs. You know, we were just watching every day for chicks to hatch there in our classroom. And you just provide the warmth, the the consistent warmth day after day. You can't cause it to happen. You don't know which of the eggs are going to hatch. If some may make it and some may not, but you provide the warmth consistently by giving this example and by teaching what is true, by not tying any millstones around the necks of any kids. 1 Corinthians 4 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, Paul tells the Corinthians. I urge you then be imitators of me. Folks, find someone to imitate. Someone who is spiritually mature. A father. A mother in the faith. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant As though I were not coming to you. Friends, can I challenge you? I've I've given this big call for younger people to find a spiritual father and mother. But there are many spiritual father figures, spiritual mother figures in this church. Would you find someone? Find someone maybe who seems like they need help or just find a family that you want to come. Nothing is more powerful. Whitney and I need nothing better than older folks in the faith to come and be telling our kids the same things that they hear at home so that they realize it's not just mom and dad who believe this mess. You know? This is real. The last couple of minutes have been my attempt to get somewhat back on track and thankfully I'm to my last point now. Up to this point, uh, my sermon has emphasized responsibility, right? The responsibility that we have as a church and the responsibility that you have as a parent, and I need to be sensitive in a couple of areas. The first thing I want to say to you is maybe you've recognized in this sermon you felt a little uncomfort, un- uncomfortability, I don't know am making up a word, discomfort. Here we go. Pull out my thesaurus. Maybe you felt a little bit of discomfort. Maybe you felt a little bit of conviction that maybe God is calling you to get back to a vision that maybe you once had and become distracted from. Or maybe you've never taken up this vision in the first place. I want to encourage you that if you realize that maybe the rhythm the regular rhythm of your family and your relationship to the church or your relationship to god it's been shaped by something other than a radical commitment to jesus that's you if you're if you're sensing that can i just invite you to just sit in the discomfort for a minute just marinate in that discomfort think it through I'm not asking you to sit in condemnation or to beat yourself up, but allow that discomfort to to prompt you to ask God, what do I now need to do? Secondly, if when you look in the rearview mirror of your life, you see things that make you wince, and they make you wonder now how your past can possibly be redeemed and used, in the life of your kids and your family? Let me encourage you by this. If the Bible teaches anything, it teaches that God redeems imperfect pasts. Through repentance, through turning away from your life and turning toward Christ or reorienting yourself or making an adjustment, a mid-course correction, you are not beyond the pale. Jesus can And will use you. I promise he will if you submit yourself to him. In fact, God most often desires to use these examples of brokenness so that he can make himself look big in your life. And so if you feel that way, you're prime material for God to use. Be encouraged. Right now, number three, if you feel like, Pastor Greg, I believe you. I believe everything you said. I'm really trying hard to swing at the things that you've said, but I just feel like I'm failing. I feel like every day I'm doing my best, but it's not enough. Let me invite you to remember that God is not calling you to perfection. He's calling you to faithfulness, to just get up the next day and swing at it again. Because it's not you who will save your kids. It's not you who will fix your relationship. It's not you who will do it. It's God that will do it. Of course you will fail. Like God has our imperfection baked into his plan. Just keep getting up and keep swinging at it because God, most often, even though we read stories in the Bible about the great characters of the Bible, 98% of the Christian life is just faithfulness in the ordinary, unseen things. And so just get up again tomorrow and swing at it again and trust God with the results. He will be faithful to you. That kind of humility, this kind of humility that injects the gospel into every day, will be a hundred times more persuasive and a hundred times more powerful in the life of someone, whoever's watching you, than a performance. Faking perfection. Instead, let's give ourselves to gospel-shaped living. Church, are you willing to do that as a church? Families, I pray that you're willing to do that as well. Let's close and ask God to give us grace to do this well. Let's pray. Lord, today we've talked about the gospel, but we haven't haven't talked about the gospel in the sense of the plan of salvation or something like that. We've talked about the gospel and how it shows up on the radar of our lives that when husbands and wives are together, they will sin against one another, but they have an opportunity to relate to one another in terms of the gospel that when moms and dads and kids that they will sin against one another but we get to relate to one another in terms of the gospel that church members we will sin against one another but we have the opportunity to relate to one another in terms through the lens of the gospel i pray that you would make us to be gospel-shaped families a gospel-shaped church And then, Lord, as we do that, would you allow your Holy Spirit to be poured out on us, to encourage us, to to build these intergenerational relationships in our church of disciple-making. Would you pour out your Spirit in our community so that others who are not a part of the family of God can become a part of this family? Lord, I thank you that just this Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, we get to vote on five people to receive them into membership, into Covenant Church membership. Thank you, God. We're not interested in numbers, but every number represents a soul and a family member. Would you give us more? I pray that you would. I pray that you would. And God, today as we leave this place, I pray that we would consider how we can allow the gospel to be the one string on our guitar that we view everything in our life and everything in our family through the lens of the cross. I pray these things, asking you humbly, God, in the name of Jesus, amen.